Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Hey, we're excited today to welcome to our worship service as our preacher, uh, the Reverend Meg Peary McLaughlin. Uh, Meg and her very talented husband, Jarrett, were on this staff from 2006, I think it was, to 2013. Uh, they served us uh, faithfully and well. Uh, they are now serving as co-pastors at the University Presbyterian Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is also where they met and fell in love. And so we are delighted to uh, welcome Meg as our guest preacher this day. Uh, she will actually be preaching from her sanctuary there in Chapel Hill. So uh, it's a delight for us to welcome her today. First, a word of gratitude to be with you in worship today. So many of your hands rested on my shoulders as I was ordained on the steps of your sanctuary. And yours were the voices that made baptismal promises to our daughter Naomi. Yours were the hearts that allowed me in, giving me space in your own stories of joy and of sorrow. In so many ways, Village, you taught me what it is to be a pastor, and I thank you. I bring you greetings from the saints here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. They are all at home on their screens as well, but this is their sanctuary. I stand in it today as we gather around our common story, today from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. As we come to God's word, let us first pray. Quiet the racket around and in us, O God. Loosen the gunk that clogs our path to you. Ready us for transformation. Though really, how are we ever ready for that, O oh God? Mostly, we pray, speak, for we need your word. Amen. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. 
But whenever you enter a town and, and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uncle Mike pointed to his young adult nephew, a curly-haired son of a shorn Marine. That boy was the one who'd been taking care of his grandmother during the day. College wasn't his thing. He loved video games. And his grand would often ask about the characters. I had just met Uncle Mike and the family the week prior, and I had wondered about that nephew. They treated him differently than the rest. We were drinking wine in the kitchen after Grand's burial, and Mike pointed to this long-haired, curly-haired video game boy who had just walked by in a bright yellow Steelers jersey. Yellow was Grand's favorite color. He's close to the water, Uncle Mike said. That one is close to the water. It took me a moment to orient myself to the comment. I, I knew that his family was from a run in West Virginia. They talked to me about their roots, said they were from Dent's Run, to be exact. I had no idea what that meant. It's a creek. They all grew up along a five-mile stretch of water in a valley. But Uncle Mike wasn't talking about the run. He was talking about the tears, the tears that were just under the surface in his nephew's eyes, ready to spill over at any curve. I know the feeling. I am close to the water too. You don't have to scratch hard to break the surface into grief, grief over so much these days the 9 million COVID cases, the 230,000 deaths, the innumerable collateral losses, and just my daily sadness that I feel whenever my daughters sign on to their screens for another day of first and fourth grade. Now I'm recording this on the eve of election day when the great chasms of difference in our nation feel unbridgeable. During a great reckoning, it seems, when the wounds of our nation's racial history have never been properly debrided. 
but rather plastered over with band-aids that won't hold. And how wild is it to be preaching like this right now? Pastors are asked to speak a relevant gospel word that touches down in real life, but we have to do so enough in advance to make our film production work. I have never imagined knowing things about video editing and teleprompters and special microphones. I mean, I went to seminary. Like all of you, everything is having to pivot and it is disorienting. So yes, I am close to the water. And amid the grief comes the questions, is anyone even watching online worship? Nothing is normal, and yet do we want to go back to what we thought was normal? How can the church shape what new thing is being born right now? And what resources will we have to do that? I don't even know what 2021 stewardship is going to look like. You're getting the inside of my skull, but I really think that even in our run-of-the-mill days, the church The church is always asking, how do we do this? Does this this matter? What does it look like to be faithful in our day? Luke slips in beside our existential ministry angst, God bless him, and offers us a word, gives us some instructions. In chapter 9 of this gospel, Jesus commissions the twelve, Unless we think ministry is the job of only a special few or only the professionals, one chapter later, right here, Jesus sends the 70, which is just another way of saying that Jesus sends everybody into this job. The number 70 harkens back to Genesis, to when the rainbow came out after the Control-Alt-Delete reboot of the flood. All of the animals and Noah's family disembark the boat. And then Genesis names the 70 descendants of Noah's sons and where they spread all across the globe. So when Jesus sends the 70, he is saying loud and clear that the good news is to reach the full number of nations, to stop at no border, respect no division of race or clan. Jesus sends out these folks and gives them a play. And here it is. Announce peace. Accept hospitality. Cure the sick and point to the kingdom that is close. Now, peace, of course, is not just the absence of war, though that would be a good start. Scholar Joel Green says that peace is shorthand for salvation. The church is to announce the good, saving news. And you do, village, it seems to me, even from afar. I see it when the village brass plays music outside places like the Forum to cheer lonely hearts, or when you make sure your neighbors have a Thanksgiving meal to eat. The church is to act 
as a gracious guest to eat what's set before them, to listen to what is spoken in their presence. And you do that when you sit in driveways to listen to the stories of your church friends. And when you are attentive enough to hear what is happening in Kansas City, that then you can enable things like Literacy KC and the Homeless House for Youth. Village, it seems you, you cure the sick, you cure anxious greed when you invite stewardship. You heal broken hearts as you offer online grief support. You mend the overwhelmed minds of young and old alike when you organize drive-throughs and pick-up meals and bedtime stories. And you point to the kingdom when you commit to anti-racism libraries and classes about solving climate change, when you dedicate a week to service, and when week after week you gather here online, not giving up hope, never giving in to apathy as you give praise to the one who ushers in the kingdom. Now, I guess you'd say that's just village being village. So my hunch is it wouldn't be hard for you to imagine how in the story, when the 70 come back, they're pretty jazzed. I mean, being the church, even in these days, it can be quite exhilarating. Luke says that they return with joy, to which Jesus replies, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. It's a remarkable response, really. The church thought they were doing their small, unnoticed deeds, simply obeying the commands of Jesus, staying in their lane, running their play. But Jesus tells them that their deeds of mercy and grace we're bringing evil to its knees. Holy smokes, y'all, did you hear that? Yes, we are online. Yes, we are in a global pandemic. Yes, no matter how the election turned out, we are being church in a deeply divided country. Yes, we are figuring out everything as we go. But maybe... Maybe what we are all doing as the Church of Jesus Christ actually kicks at Satan's kneecaps. That even our microphones and teleprompters, even our Zoom meetings and driveway visits, even our pledges of time and talent and treasure, all of that is not in vain. Being the Church is a vulnerable calling. Jesus says we are like lambs in the midst of wolves. The path of ministry is often hard and uncertain, but if I understand the text, by the grace of God, our work becomes part of God's work and will help to knock the powers of evil off the throne. This makes me want to have a virtual choir bust out in the Alleluia Chorus. But then Jesus throws this in at the end. Do not rejoice at this, 
he says. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Of course Jesus says this. Of course he does, pulling us off any kind of hobby high horse we might be getting on and setting our feet back down on the ground of grace. Of course he does. As one scholar puts it, the real reason to rejoice is not the consequence of anything the 70 have done or not done. It is not even that their mission may have disproportionate results, but simply that God has claimed them for a relationship that neither falters nor fails. And that's just it, isn't it? Ministry, the work of the church, yay, let's do it, sure, but we rejoice, we rejoice that we belong to God, which is to say that we are always close to the water, to this water, the water of baptism, the water that sloshes in the font here at University Presbyterian Church and at Village the water over in Dent's Run in West Virginia, where that grieving boy's gran was dunked when she was 13 years old. We are close to the water, the water of baptism, the water of belonging, the water that proclaims that in life and in death, in faithfulness and in failure, we belong to the God of grace. Alleluia. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.